0: Radio Brews News Brewery Pro is speaking to a number of presenters from the 2018 conference in Wellington about their presentations to give you a taste of what the conference can offer you. In this conversation, we speak with maltster Doug Michael from Gladfield Malt about the secrets to mashing as seen by the person who makes the malt. As you'll see, Doug is no-nonsense and wants to, in his words, cut through the bullshit and get to the nitty-gritty of mashing. It's a great talk. Welcome to this preview to the IBD 2021 virtual conference. Uh, As we talked about on the last program, we're looking at some of the presentations from the 2018 conference uh, in Wellington. And this week, we're speaking to Doug Michael, who's the Maltster and Director of Gladfield Malt, and his presentation is on Mashing Secrets. Welcome, Doug. G'day, Matt. How are you? Great. Great to see you, uh, mate. I'm I'm, uh, really excited to hear this because... In, in 2018, the conference um, program was looking at exploring the past to discover the future, and this presentation that you set up was really geared around challenging some of the romance uh, that, that, that people like to bring to their, their base ingredients, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right, Matt. Um, obviously, we were the diamond sponsors back then in 2018, and, and uh, yeah, they, they asked us to do some presentations on malt, and I thought it was an opportunity to to really just reinforce what the IBD is really all about and, and probably just, you know, exposing some of the myths around uh, romance that was starting to to creep in, into the industry, especially the craft beer industry, um, you know, and, and the IBD is all about, you know, research based on on science and, um, you know, researching a lot of different uh, theories, but, uh, it's Certainly not about romance, or it's not how I see things. So, yeah, we I decided to put a bit of a, a presentation back then, and one of them was about the modern moulding barley varieties versus the old world barley
0: varieties. That I mean, that's an interesting point of view because one of the things about craft beer um, that has really kicked along uh, our examining of and understanding of ingredients um, is selling some of that romance. Maybe this is a question I should leave to the very end, but is there a place for storytelling and science in malt as, as there is in craft beer? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
1: uh, anybody that knows much about Gladfield will know that it's it's a a team effort here. I've got my lovely wife, Gabriella, uh, in sales. And um, yes, sales is all about telling the story and and romance. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts and and making money, it's all about... um, Making sure that you, you have the passion in there, and, and everybody's probably heard the famous Gladfield song that romance gets you into bed, but it's passion that gets you out. And uh, you know, we've all uh, heard those stories where you know the honeymoon couple will be out in, uh, in a vineyard somewhere, and there'll be a lovely sunset, and. Uh, we're sitting there sipping away on a bit of Sauvignon Blanc or whatever, and and we're looking out across the vineyard and going, Oh, well, isn't this so romantic? You know what? We should buy a vineyard. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, a few years later, they find themselves, they've got a vineyard and and uh, then the reality sinks in and, you know, it's it's raining and they've got to get out there and prune the blooming vines and then half the staff don't turn up or something or COVID comes along and puts a bit of pressure on them. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the old romance, it's not what's going to get them through. They've got to have that passion. And uh, so, you know, you've got to be careful uh, how you use the... Uh, the romance and the
0: passion. And and that it, it's an industry that does that isn't it because no one would be standing in a field uh, overlooking potatoes with some uh, french fries in their hands going you know isn't this awesome but it's when it's wine or beer or something like that there is that added element of romance Yeah, and so
1: you've got to make sure you can uh, weave the two together and
0: definitely when you're
1: trying to sell a story, that's important. But I think, you know, from our point of view with the malt and when we're trying to educate brewers and that, that they need to understand that uh, when you're in the brew house, uh, let's cut through all that romantic bullshit and let's get down to the to the nitty gritty. And the nitty gritty is that you're there to try and make the very best uh, particular beer you can. And this is one of the things now in the craft beer industry, it's getting very uh, you know, competitive. And the average craft beer drinker out there is becoming more and more educated. And they know the difference between a good beer and an average beer and a beer that's that's not not supposed to be there. Uh, Whereas 10, 15 years ago, uh, that wasn't the case. And you could get away with making a pretty average beer or an inconsistent beer uh, and and the consumer would be pretty forgiving and probably less understanding of, of what's really going on. So, you know, for the last 16 years that that Gladfield's been in the industry, we've strived to try and uh, increase the the bar, raise the bar, so to speak, uh, in in the quality and the consistency of craft beer by, you know, supplying a high-quality, consistent malt. And, And malt's a very, very important ingredient in beer. And I think sometimes brewers, you know, have been guilty of, uh, overlooking that and, and getting caught up in the romance of things and, and probably not taking so much care and in, in detail in what they're doing and understanding that, hey, you know, you, it's all very well, but you've got to be in business at the end of the day, and that means making um, good decisions based on science rather than romance.
0: Uh, yeah. Which brings us to, to this idea of modern malting barley varieties versus old world barley varieties or the heirloom varieties that, uh, you know, people love to talk about these days.
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, I sort of liken it to um, a wee bit, you know, some of these older varieties a wee bit like the old Morris Minor versus some of the new varieties a bit like a Ferrari car. And, you know, we all like to be in our comfort zone sometimes, don't we? And, you know, we can we can hop in the old Morris Minor and, and go down to the dairy and get a, uh, a bottle of milk and we feel really comfortable. And it's, you know, it's good. We can get to steering back every time uh and that's great but you know uh, you can jump into ferrari and do the same thing but it scares the shit out of you the first time you drive it don't you doesn't it and so um you know so we sometimes we 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 steer steer clear of it but tell you what once you learn how to drive that ferrari there's no way you'll ever drive that morris minor again and um and and that's one of the key things with some of the new modern um varieties of um barley out there for example they are going to give you a lot better efficiencies. Um, but it's all to do also about how they malted. And a lot of people will say oh no you know the, the, these new modern varieties are only any good for the big brewers and for making mainstream beer and that's not exactly the case. Uh, it's how they malted and um, you know if we if we look at what the end use is for that, for that malt, what type of beer are you trying to make? Are you trying to make a, a mainstream, uh, highly fermented beer, or are you trying to make a craft beer that has a lot of body and mouthfeel and is going to carry a lot of hot flavour? So at Gladfield, we try to create a malt that's going to cater for for whatever the customer's needs needs are. Now, for example, if you are trying to make a, a, a craft beer with more body and and, and mouthfeel uh, therefore you're going to use a different style of malt so it's going to be less fermentable uh, and it's going to give more body so how we achieve this in the malt house is all about our different germination uh steeping regimes germination temperatures and the way we kill that product and so we can manipulate that and i think it's a myth out there that people think that oh it's the variety that has the biggest impact it's not I can take one barley variety, I can grow that on 10 different farms. I can then get each of those farmers to use different farming practices or inputs and levels of fertilizer, what have you. I can then take those 10 different lines of barley and I can steep them 10 different ways. Uh, I can germinate them in in 10 different germination regimes. And then I can go and kiln them with with 10 different uh, kilning recipes. And at the end of that, I've got an infinite number of flavour varieties coming out of the out of the malt plant. So, you know, it's the inputs along the way that have the most impact. It's, it's not necessarily the variety uh, when it comes to things like um, creating that mouthfeel and, and body and what have you. But what I will say is with the new varieties, you're going to get a lot more um, efficiency out of them because they've been bred to be more... Uh, you know, to, to to produce more at the other end. I mean, it's just, just the way life is. If you look at all things, uh, whether it be um, grain or whether it be livestock or whatever, you know, through evolution and what have you, things are improved. Um, I always argue, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, we like the Marisota because it's, you know, it's the original... Uh, the variety, and it's what we they used to brew beer beer out of. And then I say, but what about the variety that was there before Marisota? Uh What about it? Because once upon a time, that would have been the, the fancy one, and somehow along it got knocked off. So, you know, this is where I say the romance sometimes uh, causes some people to get tripped up a wee bit. And we need to take that out and understand what it is you're trying to achieve at the other end. And, you know, you want to have a good beer with good efficiencies. And, you know, it's just about choosing the right malt.
0: So looking at this slide, modern malt gives superior efficiency. Uh, Talk me through that graph. Okay, so one of the key things with these with the newer varieties is that
1: they will give you extremely good efficiencies, but you need to be very exact, or more exact with your control. So you need to have good equipment, you need to have good control of your temperature, and if you can get it in the sweet spot, you're going to achieve so, so much better, more efficiency. And um, and I think that's, that's the reality of it all. If you're just a home brewer, well, it doesn't really matter so much. But when you're into, the, you know, you get into the commercial side of it, you can't afford to be wasting uh, your opportunities or, or wasting, you know, the extract and what have you. So, you know, you owe it to yourself as a business person to make sure you, you know, you, you're more precise with what you're doing. And if you do that, you're going to have way better results.
0: And you look at the, the, the next uh, slide, uh, step mashing, are you still being romantic?
1: Yeah, again, I guess this sort of comes down to um, the fact that a, a lot of um, brewers, they start out as home brewers and, they, and they've read a lot of the literature and some of the books that, that's, you know, decades old and and the older varieties were less, uh, malts were less modified and so therefore step mashing was something that, that had to be used to try and, uh, to, to get the breakdown of, of the proteins and, and what have you. So it's something that they carry on using. But the modern day malts, you don't need that. You, know, you don't need to have this steep mashing. It, all you're doing is you're breaking down the protein chains too much and then you're creating more thinner beers. Uh, and, and it's an extra cost to you and it takes extra time you know, the molster nowadays has done the work for you way more than what they did in the past. And so you don't need to be doing these stepped measures with, if you're using a good quality modern day malt.
0: So mo- moving on, looking at now is the pronunciation right, the Kohlbach in Index? Yeah, guys. So that's a, um, something that a lot of people don't take too much
1: notice of when they look at their malt analysis when they're buying malt. But bark index is a measure of just how well the protein modification is carried out during the molding process so if you have a cult bark index that's high up around in the mid 40s it's meant that you've broken down those protein chains to to quite small pieces and as a result of that it, it makes it's going to give you uh, more of a thinner thinner beer and it just helps uh, or reduces the body and the mouthfeel of that beer. Whereas if you're making a a craft beer where you want a bit more body and that, you should be looking for a coal bark index, you know, 41 and below down to about 36. And it's just the fact that you're doing an all malt brew uh, versus, you know, a a large um, commercial breweries where the you know they're adding a lot of adjuncts, whether it be sugar and other things. They need to have a lot more modification in that malt because uh, they need to um, to help out by adding more things like free amino nitrogens into the malt for fermentability. And um, you know, as a result of that, those those malts tend tend to ferment out a lot more, create more thinner beers. But you know, the craft brewer, you don't need to do that because you're all malt brewing anyhow. So you know, these are the things that you need to be
0: looking for when you when you're looking at those malts. Malts come with that specification, so brewers should be looking at that when they're putting together their recipes. Absolutely, I mean, all malts
1: sold with a, with a specification, so it's had a, what we call certificate certificate of analysis, and, and those numbers should be on there. And one of the things you need to make sure it's not just not a, a generic number that's that they put on there at the start of the year and every batch seems to have the same number. Every batch should have an individual COA. It should all be tested individually through a lab. But I I always believe that a a lot of people don't understand that mainstream malt is designed for a specific purpose. It's designed for mainstream beer, which has been highly fermented out and it's had a lot of adjuncts added into it. So it needs to have a higher degree of fermentability. The craft beer is all malt brewing generally, so you don't need to have that high degree of fermentability. When you increase the fermentability of the malt, you're obviously increasing the levels of free amino nitrogen in that malt. And that has a detrimental impact on the shelf life of your beer if you're not fermenting it out correctly. Okay, so you sometimes get a lot of uh, cloudiness and haze coming into beers now that are, that are sitting around for a, for a length of time. Now, the craft beer industry used to, in the early days, was more mainly selling a lot of their beers. You know, it was fresh keg beers. It was going out through, you know, the taps pretty quickly. But now a lot of people are into the supermarkets, and especially now, like with COVID and what have you, it seems to be one of the main outlets for, uh, for craft beers now. Now, you've got to have a big shelf life for beer. Beer's not designed to be sitting around like wine, but the, the, just the way we're trying to sell it at the moment, we need to be able to extend that shelf life. And if you've got too high of free amino nitrogen in your malts, then you're going to end up with issues where that beer is not going to keep the same. You're going to start having some off flavours coming through and you'll start to see a bit of that cloudiness through now the big mainstream brewers, they get around that by you know, adding all sorts of uh, different uh, products into that beer, brewing aids and what have you, but the reality is, is that they're adding a lot of other egg junks in there other than just malt, and so that can handle those high degrees of, of free amino nitrogen, which is what they need. They need that for the yeast nutrition. The craft brewers don't need to such high levels, so... Now anything from 120 to 160, 170 uh, is 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 good enough for, for all malt craft beer.
0: Now looking at mashing secrets as we are, uh, pH it's an important aspect of uh, mashing when you're thinking of your malt. Yeah, look it is, and, and that's something that I you know grew about a uh, frustration going around over the years visiting
1: uh, customers and and look let, let's face it, I mean. You know, a lot of craft brewers, are, they're really busy people. I kind of liken them to being like a one-armed paper hanger with crabs. You know, they're trying to do everything. Uh, you know, it's like all small business owners they are trying to run the place. That, you know, they're in charge of HR. They're in charge of maintenance and building everything else and trying to sell it. And at the same time, they're trying to make beer. Uh, and so, you know, quite often, you know, it's the wee things that they overlook, it's really important when you're brewing beer that you get your water treatment right. Now, it's not just the pH. But, you know, another thing that we've noticed in the past is that, you know, how how often do, do brewers actually test their water? And this is something that's really, really important. A lot of guys are on town supply or what have you, and they might test the water once every now and then. But without any notice, their local councils can be changing that water supply on them. They might... Uh, all of a sudden change from another bore or from another dam. And you don't really know that without testing the water each time you're brewing. And so if you're trying to produce a a, particular style of beer, say a pilsner or whatever, and that water uh, chemistry has changed on you overnight because... Uh, the authorities have all of a sudden decided, oh, we're going to switch from another dam, or, or look, even the guy that was supposed to be putting the, the chemicals into the water decided to put an extra bag, less or more. But these things have a massive impact on the final flavour of, of your beer, so it's really important that you, you, you know, you test that. And there are some really good uh, kits out there now where you can really, uh, where you can test your water very, very quickly. And it's something that uh, Gladfield have been able to help a lot of our customers out. We can supply these uh, kits. Uh, They're quite cheap. And, you know, it's a really quick way of testing the water. But, yeah, getting back to the pH, I mean, that's just a a no-brainer. You know, you need to make sure you know what the pH is. Uh, It it affects the the level of extract that you're going to get and yields. And, obviously, you know, the the final flavour of that beer. So a piece of litmus paper doesn't cut, cut it, you know. You guys aren't home brewers anymore, you know. You're commercial brewers and you've got to get it right. So, you know, spending, you know, two or three grand on a decent uh, pH meter is going to save you a hell of a lot in the long run. And, and that's one of the things I learned in business is sometimes, you know, there's so many things you need to spend your money on and sometimes it just pays to go out there and, you um, and, and, and spend a wee bit more than what you can probably afford because it will pay dividends. And I know how difficult it is in, in craft room because everybody's so uh, bent on trying to get as many stainless steel fermenters into their brewery and they overlook sometimes the important stuff. And it's all very well having your, your fermenters all full of beer, but if it doesn't taste any good, uh, then you know maybe it's probably not a very good pay, payback, is it?
0: now mashing uh, sparging is important as well and you've got some views about that yeah
1: again it's just from you know observations when I, I go around different uh, breweries you know I see so often brewers are trying to over sparge you know they what happens in a lot of cases is that they'll get channeling going on and it's mainly because the equipment is, might be faulty uh, or it's not quite up up to standard and they get this channeling going on and they think why aren't we hitting why aren't we hitting the the extracts that we want to get and so they're sparging sparging more and more um, and that that just creates um, you know a lot of extra polyphenols coming through and you know so things like that I see so often it's not about um, and trying to uh, squeeze as much out as you possibly can. It's about making sure you get the right amount out so that you're not affecting the quality and the end flavour profile of that beer. Um, But yeah, just check for channelling. I just see it so often, um, you know, and the easiest way to do that is obviously your spent grains, just grab a handful of it and have a good chill on it. It shouldn't be sweet. But so often I go into breweries and the first thing I do when I go to a brewery is I actually go to this spent grain bin and I grab my hand in there and I have a bloody good chill on it and I know straight away, oh God, what's going on here? And, and that leads me to another thing that I haven't probably mentioned much about is the milling. Um, there's so many um, people just don't understand that that's the first one of the first processes of, of brewing. You need to get it right. It's a wee bit like me out in, in the moulding process. If, um, you know, if I don't go out there and we take it all the way back to, the, to growing the grain, if I don't plant the grain and the, the sow the barley and get it, grow, go it growing right, how the bloody hell am I going to make decent mould out in the other end? So it, it's, it's a compounding thing. Get the milling right and then everything else starts to flow on in. And so many times I see brewers that uh, have mills that they can't adjust. Or if they can adjust them, it's really difficult, so they tend to avoid it. Um, you need to be checking your grist and the sort of crush you're getting each time, and you should be keeping a retention sample of that grist that you've just ground up so that you know in 10 days' time whenever you're checking the finished product of your beer and there's a problem with it, you can go back to your retention sample and go, okay, I can cross that off. The, the, the grist looks perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. And so you can work your way down down the system. But yeah, like I think on my presentation back in 2018, one of the points that I was trying to make out is that yeah, the new modern day malts that are well modified and they're a lot plumper than the old varieties. And so therefore, you don't need to um, have your milk so tight and hit it so hard because all you're going to do is turn it to powder. And of course, as if you start doing that, you get all sorts of issues with stuck mashes and cloudy runoffs and all the rest of it so you know measure the gap between your mill check the grist and make sure it's not over crushed and if you're not sure about it get in touch with us because we have a set of uh, sieves that we can send out to those that don't have their own and you can measure it and straight away you'll you'll know uh, what whether you're not you're over
0: crushing it or not
1: and it has a massive impact on the final product, of the beer it's just something that
0: I, I can't stress enough to be honest well, you well you describe uh, in 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 the notes, and we'll we'll link to those. It's fat and friable versus skinny and steely, and uh, one mash setting won't accommodate all. Yeah, well, it's right. The the mill, you, you've got to change the milk. So yeah, it's,
1: it's it's that simple. And you just get a um, feeler gauges. But I mean, even if you haven't got feeler gauges, just chuck a handful through and look at look at the end result. And and you you know it's 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 simple, but. I know that mills aren't cheap and, you know, again, the money's going into the fermenters and (laughs) and all the other stainless steel. Um, But, you know, if you're going to be buying a mill, make sure you can buy one that, you know, you can adjust or make sure that, you know, you're getting a a malt that's turning up all the time that's consistent in its size
0: and and friability. Just before we finish, that's the end of the show notes, but is there anything else that uh, since 2018 that uh, you think, Brewers need to consider, you know, in, in terms of uh, mashing from a maltster's perspective. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, you don't want to overthink it sometimes. I mean, it's, it's
1: just a basic raw material and and that. But as long as you stick to the basics and and understand what it is you're trying to make at the other end, what style of beer you're trying to make, um, and you know, just understand your your certificate of analysis and, and read it through and make sure the product is what it is. You know, it's simple, just grabbing. As a brewer, you should be grabbing a handful of malt every day and chewing on it because by the time you've done that and after four or five years, you become an expert on it. And, you know, it's just wee things like that. I see so often people in breweries, they're just tipping the stuff in all the time and they just take it for granted but they're not learning anything from it you know it's like when i was growing up as a kid you know we started out on the farm and the old man was always making us get in there grabbing things and smelling them and tasting them and getting amongst it and you can't rely on a computer all the time and the number of times i'll walk into the malt plant and i can tell straight away from the smell of something or just you know the feel of something i need to make a change to a parameter. Now, yes, I've got all my computers and controls and I can rely on my staff to be checking that all the time, but it's never, ever as good as being able to have that um, intuition. And that only comes from being involved in it and and getting in there and and tasting it and and feeling it, you know, and being a part of it. And if you're in the brewing industry for 25, 30 years, it just becomes an instinct, and so, yeah, I, I, that's what I encourage the brewers to do because, you know, it's a passion. You, you've got to be passionate about it. And I see the brewers that are really passionate about it, they're the ones that have gone in leaps and bounds and have done very, very well. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't take things for chance. You, you can't be romantic about it. The guys that have got to the top, uh, yes, there's, there's luck involved, but overall... It's about the ones that are really, you know, doing the hard yards and measuring things. Luck comes into place for a wee bit of it, but I tell you what, you can't leave everything to chance. And, you know, measure things, check things, calibrate things. The number of times I've had customers say, oh, look, we've got um, fermentation issues. And then we find out later on that they've got problems with you know, uh, temperature, cooling, and things like that, where, you know, check the calibration. Just because it reads on the computer a certain um, number doesn't necessarily mean that that's reading correctly. You know, you
0: need to calibrate, check, uh, measure, and yeah, never leave anything to chance. Well, Doug, Michael, thank you very much for uh, recapping your 2018 IBD presentation as part of this IBD 2021 preview and uh, giving us some of the mashing secrets of a malt
1: good on you know thanks very much for that matt and uh, you know look if anyone's got any questions don't hesitate to get in touch with us we're always pretty approachable here at gladfield and uh, we're pretty laid back about it also uh, you know, get get in touch it would be great
0: absolutely and we'll put uh links uh, in the show notes for anyone that does want to do that good stuff thanks matt and that was doug michael from gladfield mold you can find doug's contact details in the show notes together with the presentation notes if you had any further questions. You'll also find details of the conference program for the 2021 conference, including the Ecolab trade night events, which are held around the country on the 22nd of February.